from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At a sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, what, a, what a gift to get into God's Word together. Um, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, what, what really motivates you? What, what drives you? I imagine many of us probably don't have a, a super quick answer to that, but uh, we all have something, right? Or, or things that especially matter to us, things that uh, we're especially uh, pursuing. And uh, I think whether or not we can come up with what those things are just right away, I think we can all agree that those things are very important. Uh, today, we are continuing our New Year's series that we've been calling Fresh Start as we consider these unique times that we're in. I mean, kind of the idea behind this series is a lot of people today are entering into 2023 not in the same way that they entered into 2022. I wonder if this is true for you. A lot of people entering into 2022 did it with a lot of enthusiasm. Like, this is going to be my year. This is going to be the year I get back from the pandemic. This is going to be the year I take steps forward in my life, my career, my family, whatever it might be. But the reality is, for, for many, that just wasn't the case on the personal level, let alone the different things that we're seeing looking into 2023, let alone are kind of already experiencing just a month in. I mean, just think about the layoffs recently, uh, what's going on with Ukraine. I don't know if you've read your news lately, but what's the, the killing of, of Tyree Michael and uh, you just, you know, global recession potentially looming. There's just a lot of things that we're processing right now that we need to know how to navigate. And as Christ followers, the question then becomes, how would the Lord call us to navigate. That's what this series is all about that we want to we consider. And today, we come to the one thing that King David sought above all other things. Uh, this ancient king had, had lots of hopes and dreams in his life. Frankly, hopes and dreams that our own would pale in comparison to, okay? 
And yet, of all these things, this ancient king, whom, by the way, the scriptures call the man after God's own heart, pursued one thing above above all of the rest of them, and for for good reason. Uh, Today, we're going to consider what this one thing ought to be that we pursue this year, and, and how we get it. Uh, and, and real, frankly, what this psalm is going to show us is that this alone, this one thing that we can seek alone, can really, really anchor us no matter what times we're in, including the ones that we're in uh, now. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into this. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together and look at your word, and that you give us your spirit to unpack it and understand it. And for your spirit, that also brings it to life and uses it to uh, mold our hearts after your own. We, we ask that you would do that in our lives today and help us to understand this really incredible psalm and the one thing that we really ought to, to seek, which of course is, is you. We ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this one thing that, that this ancient king sought, he really kind of uh, unpacks in verse 4. He says it really clearly here where he says, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. This is really a remarkable statement for this ancient king to make, because uh, this guy was facing really scary and dark times, times far scary, far darker than whatever you and I are facing right now. And in fact, the two preceding verses to the one we just read really kind of lay this out. It says, he said, uh, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So what's crazy about this is these aren't just poetic metaphors that David's using here. I mean, for the ancient king, he was literally facing these things of death, war, betrayal, and constantly. And so just put yourself in his shoes for a moment. What would you be desiring in places like that. If you're facing life and death, war, betrayal, what would you be crying out as your one thing, your greatest desire? I mean, I'd probably be crying out for protection, provision, deliverance, things like that. But that's not what David cries out for as far as his one thing. He cares about those, those things, but his one thing, of course, is that he could seek God in relationship. We'll unpack this more as we go forward, but David's one thing was to go deeper in love and being loved by God. But first, let me ask, what one thing might you be seeking right now? Like, what, what are the things in your life that are above all other things? Like, you just, man, th- those are the things that you're just really pursuing. Those are like top of the list. Because what we desire really do impact, the things that we desire really do impact how we live our lives. And they're worth considering. Uh, I came across a quote by Pedro Arupe uh, in his book, Finding God. He wrote this, nothing is more practical than finding God. That is than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. And then he says this, what you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what you will get out of bed to do in the mornings. It will decide what you will do in your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. 
Uh, King David makes this remarkable, uh, striking uh, insight here in verse 10, if you look at it with me. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David said, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Uh, Just to be clear, all evidence in the scriptures of all that we know about King David's life, he had a great relationship with his parents. There's nothing to suggest anything but he had a great relationship with them. And yet, still he wrote, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. What's he saying? Uh, what's, What's he getting at? He's saying, when it comes to what matters most, when it comes to the one thing that really we ought to pursue over everything else is it's, it's so much more valuable to us than even the most wonderful things of this life. Uh, even the most wonderful things of this life. I mean, let's take it by way of example, David says, the love of parents can't compare to it. Uh, what we learn here is making even good and wonderful things in this life our one thing leaves us vulnerable and susceptible to the harsh realities of life, and our souls aren't anchored. 16th century uh, theologian Ignatius of Loyola uh, spent his earlier young adult life as a noble knight, okay? And the way he describes it is he kind of lived the worldly life, licentiously just pursuing pleasures and, and power and fame and all that sort of stuff. And he got to the place where he realized all that was empty, and he just started to search for things, and he found the scriptures, and through them, he, he really found Jesus and put his faith in the Lord and became a theologian. And, and one of the conclusions he came, and he came known for, was he really said the main goal of life is to live with God. That's how he put it. And then he said this, and this won't be on the screen. We each are centered to praise, worship, and serve, regardless of whether we're religious and, and so what, what he was saying by that is we all have desires, hopes, and dreams within us that we, all to, that, that we all live to the glory of, is how he'd put it. Or to use language we've been using today in this, in this talk, that we kind of put as our main thing, where we look for our identity in, or what really drives us and motivates us. We all have these hopes, dreams, and desires. And he says, you can really think of these things as attachments, Okay, you can think about these things as attachments, or hopes, dreams, even wonderful gifts as attachments is the, is the word he would use to describe this. And he says the, the thing we've got to be careful about, followers of Jesus, is you can take these attachments, these hopes, dreams, these desires, and put them in the wrong order, or put them in the wrong place. You can have ordered attachments, and you can have disordered attachments. He said we've got to be real careful to have all these attachments in their ordered place. Okay, let's move from the conceptual to real life. So take the gift, the attachment, if you will, of loving others. Uh, the idea of loving others is a good gift, something we should all desire to do. But we, when it's ordered, when the attachment of loving others is, is ordered, it's in the place of, man, we love others for the sake of the other people, right? We, we do so out of reflection of, of God's love for us in Christ, sacrificially selflessly and the like. You see, you see the idea, loving others in its ordered place. That's good. That's right. But then we can also take something even wonderful, like loving others and put it in a disordered way, have it in a disordered manner. And we've all seen examples, probably are all guilty of this ourselves, where we'll take something like loving others and do it for selfish reasons, do it for, for the reason of like what the other person will do for us in return or the validation that it'll give us regardless of whether the... You, you tracking all this? And so Ignatius and others like him say, we got to take these 
often wonderful gifts and make sure they're in their ordered place because they can easily fall into a disordered place and we feel the effects of that. It's to our detriment and, and to the detriment of others. And really what King David is saying is, is if we put God as, as the one thing, all these other things will fall into their correct place. Uh, Cindy and I, we got to be a part of this ministry uh, separately, different times, uh, called uh, Soul Care. It's this ministry outfit here in the, on the peninsula in the Bay Area for pastors and ministers. It was really awesome. It was a good experience. And they kind of talked about this idea, and I thought it was helpful, so I'm sharing it with you. But they talk about how when you think about ordered and disordered attachments, uh, there's really some categories you can kind of hang your thoughts on to try to understand, okay, well, what attachments might we be holding in a disordered fashion? Or are we holding them in order? Are you following? So here's some categories I'm going to put up on the screen to maybe spur your imagination for reflection later of going, do I have this in an ordered place or is this attachment in a disordered place? Okay. And my, my hope for you in this is you would take this and kind of use it later on to kind of process and, and reflect on. So if it's on the screen, oh, there we go. Awesome. Thank you, team. So, so ordered and dis disordered attachments in terms of categories. So you have the category of, say, position, right? My professional, familial, or community role or title, right? We can all understand how, how our position can be used towards wonderful things, but it could also be in a disordered place and used for, for not good things. Where we live, like our place, where I am known. Uh, this one's fascinating. Often we don't really consider the attachment or desire of where we live, but our desires, even if kind of on the subconscious level of where we live or aren't living already or whatever the case might be, do impact us. It can be ordered or disordered. Our platform, the stage we're given on which we can live out our, our calling. We've all seen platforms used for good things as, as well as abuse. Uh, our personality, idiosyncrasies, traits, temperament, needs, people. This is my constituency, nuclear family, friends, friends I wish I had, significant others I have or wish I had, church, community, you, you name it. Privileges, the perks that come with my role, job, or call can be used for good or be out of place, disordered. Possessions, things I own that are mine that I can enjoy and steward. I would just encourage you to use this as an opportunity. Like, what, what are the one things? Like, what's, what's the one thing you're seeking in life? And have you elevated any of these wonderful gifts above, say, the Lord in a, in, in a, in a disordered fashion in your life? I would just say, though, just to be real clear, if you take me up on this and reflect on these things, to definitely spend time first thanking God for all these wonderful things. All right, these are gifts. These are things to be stewarded. The point we are saying, we are making here is not, okay, you got to figure what these things are that are disordered and like rip them out of your life. That's not what we're saying. It's saying holding it in its proper place. There might be things that you are elevating to a degree where if it was taken from you, it would wreck you. Or maybe you have it and it's leading to an, uh, uh, more pride in your life or whatever it might be. It's, it's gotten disordered in some way. The, the point is not to say, hey, just remove these things. The thing is to, to look at them and have them in their, their proper place. There's more we could say on this. But the question is what, is, what is the one thing? What are the things that you are making the one thing in your life that you are pursuing, that are motivating, that are affecting you, whether you realize it or not? David is saying, make your one thing the Lord pursuing him in relationship because the promise is in verses five and six, just to look at these, then in the day of trouble, he will keep you safe. He will hide you in the shelter of his sacred tent and will set your feet high upon the rock. Then your head will be exalted. 
That's saying that when you put the Lord first, when you make him your one thing, everything else in life will fall into its good and proper place. Does this mean that things will work out the way that you would script it or hope it or hope it to become or whatever? That's not necessarily the promise, but the promise is actually in some ways, in all ways, greater than that. Because it's giving the Lord the opportunity to do what's best in your life, even if it might not be what you understand or hope it to be yourself. It's along the lines of what we talked about Jesus saying last week when he very famously said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek God as your one thing, and he will make sure that you are taken care of. He will watch over you. All right, but what does it mean to make God the one thing? Okay, David describes this in Psalm 27, any number of ways. Is there's any number of phrases that we could pull out here. But if you look at verse 8, he says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So we're called to seek God's face. Uh, what does that mean? I had a, a former pastor uh, describe it this way. He said, imagine you're out on a first date with somebody and you're sitting across from them having, you know, dinner or whatever the case may be. You're sitting face to face. He said, there's something about that that is exhilarating as it is intimidating, wouldn't you say? And in all ways, it's intimate. Uh, that's what it means to seek the face of the Lord. It's to seek him in, in, in an intimate way. It's, it means to Get to know him better, who he is and what he's about, and let him look into our own lives, who we are and what we're about. Of course, he's God, so he already knows those things about us, who we are, what we're about. But still, what we see here in terms of David desiring this, and through Scripture, God desiring this out of his followers, is this is what God desires. He already knows you, sure, but he wants to get to you to get to know him better, even as he already knows you. God is not impersonal. He's a very personal God. He loves you and loves you intimately. He wants you to know him and his, his love for you. Experience that, to let that affect your life. There's this really wonderful story in the Bible about Moses seeking the face of God. It's found in Exodus 33. It's, it's just wonderful. You can look at this later if you want, or even turn there now. I'll just spend a couple minutes here. But it's a time in which Moses, this ancient leader of God's people, the one that God would use to deliver his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, ultimately through the wilderness to the promised land. But in the wilderness, they all lived in tents. And there was one tent in particular called the tent of meeting where Moses would go into to meet with the Lord. And we're told that he would meet there, this is Exodus 33, verse 11, with God face to face as one speaks to a friend. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible way to describe this. Moses would go into this tent to, to meet with the Lord, like we're talking about, seeking his face as one speaks to a friend. Moses would, would come to meet God. And what's fascinating is if you look at a, a kind of a synopsis of, of Moses' life, you know that Moses very regularly reached out to God for help. God, I don't know how to lead these people. You want to show me how? God, there's a lot of enemies surrounding us. You want to show me what to do, how to get through them, how to make a way? And Moses would go to God for all these things. But you know what Moses desired most of the Lord? The very same thing we're talking about David desired most. To seek the Lord's face. And here in Exodus 33, we see just a beautiful picture of that. It says in verse 13, If you are pleased with me, Moses said, teach me your ways, God, so I may know you. 
and continue to find favor with you. Then the Lord replied, verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I mean, just listen to the language of intimacy there. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say between Moses and, and Lord, that's quite, quite profound. And if that weren't enough, then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So are you getting the, the picture of what's going on in this interaction between Moses and the Lord? Moses is going into this tent of meeting to, get, to meet with the Lord. And with all the things that Moses needs the Lord's help on, leading this people into the promised land, getting past all these enemies that surround them, Moses is essentially, when he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up, he's saying, Lord, even if we were able to go and beat all these enemies who want to kill us, even if we were able to get to the promised land and work all that out for ourselves, if you aren't with us, if you don't send your presence, if you don't go with us, then we don't want any of it. Would you say that's how you approach the Lord? in relationship to him? I asked myself that question this week, and it was convicting. David said, one thing I ask of the Lord, I want to seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I seek. Moses sought his face. Life is less about getting to where we think we ought to go. Life is less about arriving than it is about going with God. And yet so many of us, myself included, will often miss the beauty of what the Lord is inviting us into. Uh, I came across a Bible commentator who put it this way. There is a a richness in God revealed to the seeking heart that many people never know. It is a shame that David, and for that matter, Moses, knew this under the old covenant. And so many of us with greater covenant and greater promises never know. That's saying that so many of us have this intimate relationship available to us with God, but we never experience, even though we have way more knowledge about who God is and the depths of his love than David or Moses ever had. We have way more scripture, and most of all, in that scripture, we have very clearly God's gift of giving us his son. We have Jesus. You know, David actually intuited this in our psalm when he said, essentially, that it's actually not enough to just seek God's face. But he says, we've got to to do more. He says, our point is to experience God's beauty most fully, we must seek the Lord in his temple. Because that's really what he's saying here in verse verse 4 in a way. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, but where? To seek him in his temple. The temple in Old Testament times was the place where the high priest once a year would go into this little place called the Holy of Holies. It was back in the, in the central part of the, the, the main tent where the high priest would go into this room, the Holy of Holies, once a year to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of the people. Now, this Ark was incredibly beautiful. When it was designed, pure gold, master crafted, just beautiful. But the reality is down the centuries of high priest every year, just going in and sprinkling just one time over the hundreds of years, that beautiful thing had become ugly. Really representative of the sins of people, representative of our sin. 
and really a picture of what God ultimately came to do through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the most beautiful of all. You know, Philippians 2 actually talks about that, how, how Jesus is beyond measure in terms of his beauty. What's fascinating about that, though, is we have places, say, in the book of Isaiah, this prophet speaking about the coming Messiah years centuries later, talking about how Messiah, how Jesus ultimately wouldn't, by human standards, be all that physically attractive. That's not the beauty that Philippians 2 is talking about, Jesus being beautiful beyond measure. So what kind of beauty are we talking about? I was on Instagram this last week, on the gram, and I was just kind of scrolling through. And I don't know how I came across it, but I came across this old uh, Fred Rogers Oscars acceptance speech. Remember Mr. Rogers? Miss Mr. Rogers. But I don't know how I came across it. I came across this Fred Rogers uh, Oscar acceptance speech. You know how Oscar acceptance speeches go. People get up there. They do their thing. It's all pretty. Okay, you kind of know the, know the deal. But Fred Rogers, being Fred Rogers, did it a little bit differently. He got up there, and he was all, okay, I am only here because of the people in my life who made it possible for me to be here. And here's what I want to do with my time. As I stand before you all and as the television's on me, I want to give you 10 seconds to think about all the people in your life that brought you to where you are right now. Maybe they're with you in this room. Maybe they're at home. Maybe they're at home in heaven. But I want to give you 10 seconds of my time up here on the stage to think about all the people in your life that have made it possible for you to be where you are and to just have a heart of gratitude. And I'm like listening to this. And I'm like, oh no, Mr. Rogers did it again. Like, <laughs> got me. And sure enough, the, the video pans out and all the celebrities are like trying to like, you know, clear their eyes. Because, you know, he says it in such a way in that moment. It's so powerful. And sure enough, I read the comment section and it's all like cry emojis. You know what I'm saying? And one person I thought, and everybody's saying more or less the same thing. One person I thought articulated best and basically what everybody was trying to say and I said, cry emoji. Such beautiful words from such a beautiful man. If we can intuit the beauty in that, we can begin to get the faintest view of the beauty of Christ. Because if you think about it, maybe you've watched the documentary, Fred Rogers was actually a, uh, a minister who, whose whole life was essentially trying to emulate, live out of the, the love of Christ that, that God had for him. And if you've seen the documentary, you know that, you know, Fred Rogers, like everybody else's, wasn't perfect. He had his flaws. Even as he, was, he was able to accomplish the different things that he did. But the beauty of Christ is immeasurable. He came loving perfectly, with perfect holiness, righteousness, justice, compassion, all perfectly. That's what Philippians 2 tells us. He was beautiful beyond measure, yet Philippians 2 goes on to tell us, and yet he emptied himself. He allowed himself to go to the cross to die the death that we all deserve, dying for our sin. That's really the picture of the temple. But Jesus on the cross didn't just die for one group of people during one period of time. He, He died for all people throughout all time who would receive him by faith. And so, therefore, if you know the story, when Jesus had accomplished what he did on the cross, the curtain in the temple tore in two. The holiest of holies was no longer needed because Jesus had made a way back into a relationship with God where we could see him face to face in a far more intimate way than 
either David or Moses could ever. You and I have that available to us to make him our one thing. And the reality is, if he loves you and me to that degree, we have a love that is truly unconditional. There's nothing else in this life, no other one thing that is unconditional in this love. Even the best of things, first of all, aren't going to be truly perfectly good. But they too, even when they're operating in their best of functions, will also fade. But the love of God through Christ will never. It is unconditional and is the one thing that will anchor your soul no matter what comes at you. So church family, let's make that our one thing. Heading into 2023 and beyond, he is the lover of your soul and mine. Real quickly before we wrap up, I want to talk about how to get this. A couple pr- practical thoughts and then we'll, then we'll close. Uh, number one, verse four tells us, and verse eight as well, that we are to seek. We're to seek his face. Seeking is a helpful way to think about this because to seek something means to go after it. It means to take the initiative, meaning it's not going to just come to you. Well, I mean, to be clear, God's made it possible for us to seek him. He, he sought us first. You said, I came to seek and save the lost. So he's made it possible for us to seek him, but he's not going to force you to seek his face because he loves you. He's not going to force you to do this. So we got to seek, but we also need to gaze is the word, gaze on his beauty. If, it, if seeking means to take initiative, then gazing upon something means to do so in a sustained way. It was kind of funny. This last week, I was racking my brain for uh, modern-day illustrations for gazing. I don't think we really gaze all that much as a culture. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of you guys are like, you see me afterwards. Maybe, But I was just like, what do we, we have such an attention, you know, deficit and all that sort of thing. So, okay, imagine you're going to an art museum. And you're looking at an art piece. You know, if it's you, if this beautiful piece of art in front of you and, you and you gaze at it, if you're gazing at it, it's a wonderful piece of art, it can leave an impression on you. It can, it can affect your, your emotions. It can affect your thoughts and get you thinking. It can, it can, dare I say, even change you in a little way. When we gaze on the Lord, we let who he is and what he's done sink more deeply into us that it affects us. Okay, how do we seek? How do we gaze? A couple of quick thoughts. Real low-hanging fruit, we get into his word. I mean, David here in Psalm 27 says, teach me your ways, God. Moses, when he sought God as, uh, face-to-face and spoke to him as a friend, he said, teach me your ways, God. Well, here's, here are his ways. Here is his word to let us know who he is and what he's about, which means we've got to spend time with him in his word. Some of you maybe have never done that before. Just kind of build it into your life rhythms to read God's word and encourage you to think about doing that. 2023 is your year. And if you don't know how to do that or you're looking for a place to start, find me after the the gathering or find one of our leaders. We'd love to talk to you and equip you on that. If you have done it in the past, but you've kind of fallen off the horse, get back on the horse. You can figure out a way to get into God's word. Getting into groups will help us have uh, group accountability on that, but there's nothing like going to the, to the Lord, gazing on his beauty through his scripture. Then we also need to go to him in prayer, of course. The thing with, with prayer is prayer is really ultimately conversation with God. Uh, so many of us, at times for me, it's, it's only ever just lobbing up requests 
God, I need something, or would you do something for me? And hey, the Lord wants to hear those things, but prayer, even more than that, is, is also just being in conversation with him. Meaning as you go about your day, you can just bring things before the Lord. I was talking to a couple of our leaders over the last uh, week or two, uh, separately from each other. Both of them don't know I talk to each other, but they basically came to similar conclusions in terms of what God is like leading them to want to really think about going into 2023. Each of these guys are like your classic Silicon Valley leaders. They're just the kind of people, go-getters, like a problem comes up, they're going to they're gonna go to solve it, try to figure it out, move the ball down the, the field, get the teams, you, you know what I'm saying? But they each told me, again, separately from each other, man, I realize that what, I, what the Lord's really calling me to do is in those scenarios, or just in life in general, to first bring things to the Lord. Just talk it over with them. And maybe that doesn't mean I necessarily make different decisions in those moments, but I'm talking about it with him. I'm asking, how are you seeing this, God? What might you be seeing and, and how might I go about it with you as opposed to just without you? And what's fascinating is maybe they'll still you know, approach many things a similar way, but maybe other things they'll realize or see things as the Lord makes it available to them, shows them that he wants to do through them, they would, they would have missed altogether. For instance, sometimes what God's not really all that concerned about is the, is the bottom line, but the people involved in it. Actually, that's always the case. And we get to just go through life and just ask the Lord. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, Ignatius of Loyola. He was big on what's called the prayer of examine. I'm not going to go into all of this, but it's basically at the end of the day, taking that day before the Lord in prayer. Lord, this day, I experienced this, this, and this. And emotions are great here. I felt this, this, and this. And just to kind of hold those in a non-judgmental way. And ask, Lord, what did you see in that? And then after that, like, Lord, what would you want me to, how would you have wanted me to approach that? How do you want me to shape me in light of those things? Prayer is so important. Going and getting God's word is important. And then also, we need, church is really important. What we're doing here. Where do I see that in the text, David? Sorry, it's kind of hard. It's King David, too. There's a lot of Davids. But David, the king, the psalmist, not the pastor. Uh, I totally lost my thought. <laughs> That's what I get. It's funny. If you look in verse 4 and 5, David is like ransacking his vocabulary for, for a noun to call the house of God. Do you see that? He says in verse 4, it's the house of God, and then he says it's the temple, and then he says it's the, the dwelling, and then he says it's the shelter of the sacred tent. He's like searching all these vocabularies for, you know, the sacred tent is also translated tabernacle, portable church. It's the place where God's people gather together in corporate worship. There's something so important about what's happening here, guys. And if I could just say it this way, as a pastor... Coming out of the pandemic, one of the things that makes me most nervous for those who are following Christ is the deprioritization of gathering with God's people on a regular basis. We have the means to have uh, online uh, resources and, and gathering that way. We are so grateful for the team that helps make that possible. That is primarily for, for you when you're traveling or you're sick. It's primarily for your friends who, after you invite them, are like, I, I want to check this out, make sure those guys aren't weird. <laughs> then they see me, then they make the decision not to go. Okay. <laughs> you get the idea. That's the point. It's not meant to be a substitute for gathering here. Hebrews 
uh, 10 says it this way. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is approaching. Meaning we need to prioritize, prioritize this more and increasingly so as time goes on. It's so important. Uh, Colossians 3, 16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you. That word you is plural in the Greek. Richly, uh, may it dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We need to come to the Lord in community. When we gather together like this, we're in, in one way, we're coming and saying, God, this week, like all others past and future, this week is yours as well. And we're going to give this hour, this time to you. We also do it in community. There's a reason why the Lord has us do this together. There's a presence of the Lord that we experience together. And there's also a presence of ministry happening when we're gathered together. As the exercise of gifts happen, as we serve each other, as we, as we minister to one another and take care of needs or whatever. And by the way, just showing up as a ministry. Just, just your presence. I, I'll just say from my own personal experience, see me, seeing a number of you on a Sunday gives me so much encouragement. I don't want to lose it here. I'm serious. Just seeing each other, but growing deeper in relationship, let alone getting the chance to serve one another. All these things are incredibly important in how we seek and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, seeking his face in his temple. And by seeking him in his temple means we reflect most upon the gospel and what God has done for us through Jesus. We sing to him, pray to him, preach his word, preach him through the word. These are all the ways that we seek and gaze upon him with the hope. Well, actually, the corollary, how's that? That in the day of trouble, he will keep you safe in his dwelling. He will hide you in the shelter of his sacred tent. And he will set you high upon a rock. Then your head will be exalted. May the prayer of King David be ours, be yours going into 2023. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for seeking us first. Thank you so much for going into the temple as a sacrificial lamb, as it were, dying on the cross for us to make it possible for us to be back in relationship with you. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you would like to begin a relationship with him. The gospel which literally means good news, is you can receive him today. It says in John 1.12, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. If you want to receive him today, it's receiving the forgiveness of sins that he did accomplish for you on the cross and the life forever that he accomplished through being risen on the third day. And if you want to receive that, you can raise your hand. I will see it. I will pray for you. It's not the act of raising your hand that saves you, but it's the decision you make in your heart. And I just want to give you that opportunity to express that, and I'll pray for you. Just another moment. I think I see one hand. Father, I want to pray for this individual who's raised his hand, that you would receive him into your family, a son of yours. 
And uh, we just celebrate alongside him because we, his brothers and sisters, all get to receive what he, what he has just received, and that is the goodness of your love, forgiveness of sins, life forever with you, and that when we put our faith in you and we make you our one thing, and frankly, even when we're not faithful to make you our one thing, you will take care of us. You will watch over us. Father, in this next year, would you help us as your church collectively and as individual followers of yours, would you help us in individually seek you as our one thing? We love you. We're so thankful for the beauty and the face you shine upon us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.